What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Casual Conversation with Will and Gary, episode number 43 coming at you today. And joining Gary and I on today's episode, we have our good friend, Mr. Matt Wilbers. If you've ever had any question about cannabis or the cannabis industry, then this will be the episode for you. We talk pretty exclusively about cannabis uh, and the cannabis industry in this episode. It happens to be a field Matthew works in. Um, Like I said, if you ever had any questions, whether it be medicinal, scientific, business-related, legalization, things of that nature, uh, I'm sure we'll have an answer to almost all questions in this episode. So uh, we've known Matt a long time. He's a good buddy of ours. Um, He's very smart. Uh, very well versed in this topic, so we wanted to have him on and you know kind of explain what it's like. Uh, try and explain some stigmas of cannabis and marijuana. So, um, it was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. I think he enjoyed it as well, and I hope that you guys enjoy it too. So, with that being said, and without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? Casual conversation. Another one coming at you. From Howdy. where? We're a new location. Yeah. A location. Well, well not a new location, but we're, new, uh, <laughs> we're on the back porch, boy. Outside. First outside podcast. Back porch talking. Birds are chirping. The wind's blowing. The conversation's flowing. <laughs> Beautiful day, though. It really is. We got, a, day, uh, we got a special guest on today. One of my. Long time buddies, man. I've been friends with this guy since like the first grade, I do believe. Uh, and that would be my good friend, Matthew Wilbers. Hi, how <laughs> are you? <ya? laughs> <laughs> Hi, how are you? So, uh, Matt, um, like I say, he's been a friend for a long time, and we've got him on the podcast today because he is very familiar with the uh, cannabis industry, and he's going to enlighten us on some facts some stigmas that need to be broken about this particular plant medicine and i'm going to let him kind of just give a brief introduction of himself so matt wilbers hi thanks for having me on gary yeah no problem it's always a pleasure to see y'all um name is matthew wilbers uh 24 years old uh born and raised in uh, clinton arkansas which is the same place as where i work so natural products. Um, just a little bit, I guess, about my story. Uh, after gra- after graduating high school and going off to college, I-, I really didn't have a lot of direction in life. Still, gr- still gri- uh, gripping with the uh, depression of my uh, mother's passing, mm-hmm. as expected, and I didn't realize how much that had impacted me. And as a result, my uh, I became I became lost and disconcerted. wasn't really focusing on uh, extracurricular too much, and um, attended Arkansas Tech for a year. Uh, ended up moving back uh, in with my brother, my father. Uh, still, actually, so you were in you were in Russellville for a year, and you moved to Conway. Yes, sir. Okay, that's that's where we we'd always been friends, but that's where we kind of linked up as as adults for the next three four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably the first I, time I ever uh, got to hang out with you, Matt, was when you uh, 
moved to Conway. That's like, true. I'd seen you around before, you know, because you were friends with Gary. And yeah. We had played played Magic and stuff <laughs> together. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, there's some days. That was about the only time I'd ever hung out to you, but On this very table. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> um, But, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, then I would, f- I would frequent... Uh, Will uh, Will and Gary's house, uh, as whenever Paxton was living there, whenever Zach was living there, you know, had a, had a hell of a time on there. But um, I don't know. I, I I didn't really have a lot of direction in my life for those couple of years. Uh, just kind of trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do, how I best wanted to approach, uh, you know, career paths, choices, etc. Mm-hmm. And I always knew that I had a interest and a fascination in the biology and physiology of people. People mm-hmm. are very fascinating, very inter- interesting creatures, and I wanted to best figure out how to approach a type of biological science or mm-hmm. something to that, that, that interacts with, it, with, with people. Um, well, but of course at the time I was still just very heavy focused on work, didn't really give two shits about education. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, uh, back in March, 2018 or, well, my, my, my interest of course in cannabis was, it was introduced to me by, um, that the, the stereotypical stoner phase. I mean, you, you, uh, go out with some buddies, you, uh, the first time that you try marijuana, it does, it may not have an effect on you, but after a couple of times, once you, I guess, how to learn how to consume it properly, uh, you, you end up having a great time and, you know, had the, had the, had the very stoner days and st- I'm, I'm still, I still do very much give off stoner vibes because at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're a little bit of one. We're all a little bit of one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little. It, it's true, it, dude. It, it, like, if your hair is a certain length, you're automatically a stoner. Yeah, exactly. I, I relate to that 100. Yeah. percent Yeah. So, yeah, and if I can't think of any any follow up to that, damn it. <laughs> just keep, yeah, just keep, keep on y- talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it was uh, after after you know just consuming the product and enjoying myself, having you know good couple having some fun years just you know imbibing using not really having not really having an interest in you know pursuing my uh career or education any further um i began to kind of think about how this product was affecting me in just mm-hmm. more than getting 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 me high letting me just enjoy so what you're saying, sorry for the interjection. Oh, go for it. Um, so what you're saying is you you started smoking pot to get high, <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. get high with your buddies. Exactly. No, hundred uh, percent. The it all started with you know wanting to try this substance that you know had, I had been told my entire life was the devil was harmful yeah. to you. Was and a so how old drug. how old were you when you first tried marijuana? I was 17 whenever I first tried marijuana. Okay. It's September of 2017. No. That's six in the same. That was only a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, God. So it would have been 2013. Yeah, it was September 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So it was right before you got out of high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And then, so you're saying at one point you. you 
kind of change the relationship that you had or the perspective that you took on your relationship with cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so how how did it change from, oh, I'm just going to go get high with my buddies, smoke a couple bowls, smoke a joint, whatever, mm-hmm. to whatever. Like, how what, what changed about it, I guess is what I'm saying. Um... Probably the biggest change was this self-understanding and realization of how this very misunderstood substance, and misunderstood because uh, the area that we grew up in, you know, is very, it was very closed doors to uh, this product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I started to you know have a kind of self-realizations and self-understandings about how this product affected me affected my cognitive function affected my motiv- motivation factors affected my you know uh enjoyment with life in general I feel like. okay so how you're saying that you it made you enjoy it it didn't make you enjoy it how did it affect your cognitive process it you know it it made you enjoy life a little bit more because you know it it allows uh, an individual to um kind of forget and nudge aside some of the more um uh important not important maybe the more You can, you can go back and play. Apparent. Okay. That's what it is. <laughs> the more apparent stressors in their life. And in, in the sense of uh, me using cannabis as a way to uh, you know help cope with some of the uh, trauma factors that I had dealt with in so far in my, li- in my upbringing, I was very much appreciative of what that had created for me. Mm-hmm. However... I also got a better understanding of it and uh, came to the conclusion that uh, the level at which I was consuming was impacting my lifestyle and, you know, uh, making me very unmotivated, making me yeah. very lackadaisical, uh, you know, not wanting to go to the gym, not wanting to further myself as an individual. Yeah. And so I wanted to, uh, you know, get an understanding of that, uh, you know, to a much further degree because of how significantly this product had impacted my life in a positive manner as well you know it did have very positive uh, benefits for me but i wanted to better explore a product that had become so uh, tied with my life to better understand some of the more negative implications or connotations behind it and why you know why it affected and impacted uh, individuals to such a varying degree yeah because some people i mean like you're saying some people can handle it most Some certainly. people can go throughout the day, and I mean, I've got I've got buddies that I don't know how they smoke the amount that they do, but the, somehow they they go their mental health, their pro tip, their productivity. It doesn't it doesn't change too much. But then I definitely have other buddies mm-hmm. that I've seen smoke a lot and and partake in cannabis that it just like kills their drive for anything exactly Exactly. it's like all they all they want to do is smoke pot and all their life revolves around is smoking pot Mm -hmm. and to put this into perspective for some people that may have not um, you know partaken in cannabis or or had a phase where they smoked some some weed um think about an alcoholic there there are Mm, people that can handle a couple of drinks and stop and it enhances you know if they go to a party they have yeah. a they have a better time if they have a couple of drinks, but then there's the guy that everywhere he goes, every event that he 
goes to, it's like he's trying to involve and, and really revolve it around alcohol. And you That's can do the point. same thing with Paul. You can do the same thing with gambling. You can do the well, same so, with anything. I mean, you can you can do the same thing. I mean, uh, with, with that stigma attached to it, how how is it any different from you know an individual that uh, drinks a cup of coffee in the morning, cup of coffee in the morning, and every morning religiously? How is that any different from an individual that is taking you know aspirin two to three times a day on a regular basis? Um, it's it's a substance that has a physiological and, in a lot of cases, psychological impact on your on on a person. Yeah, and I think that I think that you know we can touch on in just a second in regards to the stigma of why of, of what a drug is, but ultimately it was um, it. it it allows some individuals, I guess, uh, a freedom of inhibition, but it uh, also can allow, in, but it also creates an individual's uh, dissonance or indifference to their surroundings. So, what do you what do you mean, freedom of inhibition? Explain that to the audience. Freedom of inhibition is just allowing an individual who may not normally socialize well to be able to do just that it kind of dissolves their uh worries if you will like what they're worried about that's keeping them from because that's what inhibiting is mm-hmm. is keeping something from doing so let's say you have a drink of alcohol you're not normally a very social person mm-hmm. it keeps you from worrying about oh what everybody's uh, thinking about me this way you don't exactly even register the, that like neurologically judgment. Uh, and like the biological process of like how our brains work, it just quietens the part of the brain that can worry about those things. Mm-hmm. So I get I get what you're saying there. I just kind of wanted you to explain that. Yeah, and I think and then you, it opposes what you were talking about the the dissonance or indifference that you experience quite quite often uh, with um, improper consumption of cannabis and. Much like any substance, it can be consumed improperly. I mean, yeah. you can get too intoxicated. You can get too high. It's, it's a common... Yeah, we're, emotion, we're emotional creatures, which emotion is mm-hmm. feeling. And if you smoke so much to where you can't feel anymore, you, you're indifferent to everything. Exactly. You get to a level where you're like, you're right, you, you got too high. And and <laughs> cannabis, just like any other substance, should be an enhancing factor. It should allow you to enjoy the frivolities and intricacies of life to a greater extent. Not numb yourself to those exact things of which you find joy. Yeah. I, man, I I think that what you were saying earlier about like caffeine and we've talked about alcohol and and we're talking about marijuana Mm -hmm. i think it's important for for people to realize what a drug actually is so you you can explain that for us but just try and try and get people to see like anything that goes into your body that has a psychoactive effect like Caffeine, alcohol, any like LSD, opioids, mushrooms, mushrooms yeah, cannabis, like, like amphetamines. I mean, we can the the laundry list goes on. <laughs> yeah, and so um, if there's anything that you wanted to add to that about what a drug actually is, 
It's not like, oh, th this drug is bad, this drug is bad, this drug is good. It's like, no, all these drugs affect you in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it can be negative, and it can be positive. Yeah. And it's, you know, based in the release of the chemicals that control a large aspect of our emotions, our mood, our cognitive function, and... uh our body regulates those on a, on a, on a daily basis, on a minute to second basis. Mm -hmm. And you can mess with it a little bit, like we were saying, and enjoy and enhance it. But you can also get to a point where you mess up your regulatory systems. And it's like you rely on this substance to feel a certain way. Much, much in the same manner that an individual who may be addicted to opiates is burning out those opioid receptors in their body. An individual who may be, addic may be addicted to cannabis, and yes, cannabis can be addictive. Uh, addiction boils down a little bit more, in my perspective, to a mental uh, reliance on it. And you can, just like with any other substance, with, like with any other addiction, you can form a dependence on it. Um, yeah, I think let's, let's, I like let's talk that. about that. I like there, that because people say that a lot. There's a difference between addiction and, de and a physical dependence on something. Mm -hmm. Pot, the way that it works in your body, well, let's, let's say cannabis. Pot's a dirty <laughs> word. Pot is one of those <laughs> slang <laughs> terms. Devil's lettuce. <laughs> so, but anyways, the way that pot works in your body is it, it doesn't really, it does not really affect your regulatory systems as much. Like you don't become reliant on it. Whereas like you're saying, if you get on hydros or uh, any type of opiate for that matter, mm -hmm. you start, you start like putting this, this chemical in your body that your body already kind of naturally makes because mm -hmm. we make endogenous opiates in our body. Oh, everything from norepinephrine to dopamine. Yeah, exactly. And if you start burning your opiates out, you start making, you know, you stop making your own opiates and you have to rely on the opiates that you're putting in from the outside. Exactly. And and then you have all these, you know, you can't just you can't just quit cold turkey on opiates. Or, I mean, you could be hospitalized and potentially die. Exactly. So understand, anything can be addictive. Gambling is addictive, yep. and that's not that's not a substance. Exactly. Like TV, video games can be addictive. That's true. But you don't physically depend on them. No, and it's because addiction boils down to the release of pleasure chemicals from our brain. Everything from. Uh, Dopamine to serotonin to GABA. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyways. So I want to. I, I wanted to make that distinguish, uh, or I wanted to distinguish addiction and dependence because mm -hmm. I, I like to. I like to compare cannabis to alcohol a lot because alcohol is a lot more socially accepted, and you can become physically dependent on alcohol. Oh, very much I've, so. I've been in a hospital setting where people are having what they call to uh, like DTs, the tremors that they have when they uh, try to go cold turkey and quit alcohol, and like they hallucinate, and it, it's it's a bad mm -hmm. deal for a couple days. Mm -hmm. And I think I think cannabis stands out in that regard to where it's not something that you're you're going to be dependent on. No, um, and then another great thing about it is the uh, overdose potential of cannabis and the uh, nigh impossibility that it is. Um, you don't have a lot of receptors in your um, 
oh, what's what's that area called? What's the area? the brains the brainstem, which controls the the majority of uh, respiratory functions in the body. You don't have a lot of cannabinoid receptors there, so that's why the potential for overdose or by you know suffocation. Mm-hmm. is just so low. You'd have to smoke about 1,500 pounds of cannabis in 15 minutes in order to overdose on it. And you can't do that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, you, I think that would be impossible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so we, you mentioned this earlier mm-hmm. about how to properly consume cannabis. And there are many modalities that you can consume cannabis in other than just smoking it. So I would like you for you to kind of enlighten people on the different ways you can uh, consume it and the different ways of consuming it and how they affect you differently. Most certainly, most certainly. Um, I guess we'll start with the uh, most common form of consumption, which is going to be inhalation by combustion. Um, this is most, uh, or to put it in layman's terms, Smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, being being that, that's the most common round of administration, uh, just a quick overview on how that impacts you. Um, you're going to feel the effects of cannabis so the, the quickest whenever you do combust the flower. Uh, flower being the term for the part of the cannabis plant that you actually smoke. Thank you. <laughs> the bud. <laughs> the bud. <laughs> but uh, whenever you're, whenever you're uh, activating that THC, pulling it into your lungs, it's crossing the blood-brain barrier in a matter of seconds uh, and immediately rushing through your bloodstream up to your brain, um, agonizing those cannabinoid receptors and ultimately resulting in the euphoric feeling that you've you would expect whenever you consume marijuana um through smoke through smoke smoke yes the the high if you will uh is generally very uh, not not quick necessarily but it's going to be the short shorter lasting of the methods of consumption all right so you say it's the shortest lasting of of the different consumption methods but how long would you expect smoking cannabis to last um, typically the effects produced by that method are going to last about two to three hours, uh, depending of course on how much you smoke. If you just get, if you just overindulge yourself, if you're just, I don't know, partic- feeling particularly, um, under the weather or don't have anything else to do that day and you want to over I mean, you can get a high that'll last four hours, but but ultimately, that method of administration is going to be the quickest way to get your relief. Um, let's say you're a patient suffering from fibromyalgia and ha- partic- have a uh, particularly rough pain spike um, while you're out in Target shopping, for example, or you know just doing your day-to-day activities. Um, we uh, the the use of vaporizers and vape pens has really uh, grown in popularity due to the obscurity of using that method of administration. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I mean, basically the same thing with like smoking cigarettes and vaporizing nicotine. Mm-hmm. It's like we we know that putting smoke in your lungs is pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, pretty uh, bad. Ultimately, and, and while that is one of the that is the quickest route of administration, that is also ultimately the most unhealthy way. Um, and I think I think man, just just to kind of step back and look at this big picture, like 
in in our society that we <laughs> live in we we don't practice delayed gratification very much <laughs> we're a we're a very microwave society we don't like to put things in the oven we like the microwave oh most certainly and so i think that that's just a reflection since smoking is the most popular way yes um it's it's not long lasting and it's quick and smoking is such a uh, social tool as well it's popular both because of it, the quickness of efficacy and because yeah. it's a uh, it's an activity that everyone in the room can enjoy and you that's just not just smoking the around the room. yeah that's not just smoking weed either i mean you see people taking cigarette breaks all the time like at, it's just the act of smoking mm -hmm. it's 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 a therapeutic it's a yeah. it's the ritual of just you know getting your getting your whatever your joint or whatever your cigarette and lighting it and being with a buddy sharing smoke mm -hmm. That there's just something within human history, and you can, you know, not agree with it all you want to, but that has been something that cultures have done throughout the history of humans. And that's probably because it represents a bond, it represents friendship. I mean, for mm -hmm. millennia, our ancestors uh, were constantly at war. The warring tribes were constantly fighting over land, fighting over resources, fighting over any type of, you know, uh, environmental aspect that would benefit them. And with the uh, introduction of technology, with, the, uh, with agriculture, everything from agriculture to FaceTime, we are able to communicate and coalesce as a unit uh, much, to a much greater extent. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, we, we as humans want to be alpha we want to dominate and to create a pastime and activity that we all share and to represent a unity is just something that i think is beautiful regardless yeah. of what that what you're getting together and doing yeah so for those who don't necessarily understand that i compare it to this it's like it's a nice day your buddies come over you're watching the game and you all enjoy a nice drink together or say you don't drink you're on the back porch. It's a special occasion. You all enjoy a nice cigar together. It's just a way to come together and like do something that's going to last more. It's like a cigar lasts, you know, an hour, hour and a half, and it just gives you that time to be around people. Like if you're smoking marijuana, it just gives you an opportunity to be around people and and like experience something together. So mm -hmm. it kind of like I don't know, it brings you closer together. Unity. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> we are so. That, we, go ahead. We are creatures. I mean, we are creatures of. We're social creatures. Social things, so yeah, social creatures. I don't know why I was having such an issue with that. <laughs> I'm. I, I. I didn't sleep a whole hell of a lot last night. I was trying to brainstorm on things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so what we can gather from this is, smoking marijuana is the fastest way to experience it. And also, a, the way to experience it the less amount or the, in the least amount of time doesn't last doesn't long. last as long. Yes. So go ahead, Matt, to another way of protecting in cannabis. Uh, uh, you also have uh, sublingually administered oil or um, tinctures. It's a um, it's an oil. It's a carrier oil that has uh, had the compounds in cannabis. The cannabinoids bind it bind to it. Uh, you place it underneath your tongue, and sublingual absorption is going to uh, cross the blood-brain barrier or 
you'll start to feel effects in about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, so, to, so it takes a little longer, but not too long, though. That's 15 minutes really isn't that long. No, not, not at all. Um, tinctures are pretty applicable for uh, longer-lasting relief. Uh, generally, whenever I recommend tincture to patients, I ask them to observe a titration curve to find their optimal dose, almost in the same method of uh, taking any, a type of prescription medication. You would dose yourself with X amount at... 9.30 in the morning, wait about 45 minutes to feel, the, to feel effects, rate your pain or whatever general unpleasantness you're trying to uh, rid yourself of, rate, your, rate it at that time. If it's still insufficient and you're, it's still not at a tolerable level, you go ahead and dose yourself again, wait another 45 minutes, and then you observe yourself again. Yeah, speaking particularly on pain... Because, I mean, it, it is used for pain, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the research that I have done on marijuana um, in, re, in relation to pain is that it can help with pain at certain doses, but mm-hmm. once that dose is exceeded, it can actually cause a, a greater sensation of that pain the person is experiencing. So, like we were talking about earlier, about how you don't need to just smoke your mind away you don't need to get too high as we were saying precisely because you can actually experience not only not only negative effects like i mean everybody's heard of getting paranoid on on weed and getting anxious but you can actually feel the pain that you're experiencing more so it it can amplify it if you indulge in it too much what what is that is that accurate and that that is accurate um like uh, like I said previously, I like to think of cannabis as an enhancing factor and uh, to use it to enhance your life rather than numb yourself to mm-hmm. life's to life. Mm-hmm. Um, in much that same round of thinking, uh, if you're enhancing life, then in some cases you can end up enhancing the uh more unwanted aspects of life, mm-hmm. uh, making you more um sensitive to input um i know for example uh i've uh, i've consumed product before that has caused me to feel uh, hot or cold flashes Mm -hmm. um and that and that is one of the more unwanted side effects of cannabis use and it just gave me a better idea and a better and better knowledge about how i need to best dose myself yeah um, not to not to get off not to get off of our methods of consumption, but what are some of those negative side effects? Um, the common negative side effects that that people would experience. Uh, probably the most common side effects that you'll find from cannabis are, uh, oddly enough, uh, uh, ailments that can be remedied through other f- types of cannabis. Um, you can you can actually experience uh, insomnia. From a from mm-hmm. a number of different strains, uh, whereas a number of different strains can help knock your ass out. Yeah. Um, uh, other commonly reported issues are uh, headaches uh, or uh, fatigue. Fatigue can be associated with it. A general lackadaisical nature, being lazy, being unmotivated. Um, uh, uh, this is a side effect that can be good or bad is the munchies, as we've all heard. Yeah. Uh, for individuals that are dealing with terminal illnesses that have no appetite. Such as cancer populations. I, 
Yes. As a dietitian, we see that a lot. And Most certainly. That we actually talk a lot about cannabis as a hunger stimulant. Most certainly. That's one of the THC's most prominent effects is appetite stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, back to potentially more, I guess, negative negatives, side, yeah. negatives uh, about it is just uh, the anxiety or paranoia that we mentioned earlier and just this uh, concept of you think, overthinking just everything around you. Uh, that, mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately what leads to a lot of people getting anxious or paranoid is the stimulation of cannabinoid receptors in their brains can ca- often cause an effect of like uh, mind, uh, almost an expansion of mind, expansion of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people uh, don't like that. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they get a little bit uh, freaked out whenever they, really, whenever they start looking at the world through more pure eyes. The, the thing that we like as humans, whether you're a control freak or not, we like to be in control. Mm-hmm. And you become, in your mind, much more vulnerable, which you could think of as a negative, but, but what, do, what do we do when we partake in a practice of prayer or meditation or whatever? You let go. Mm-hmm. You let go and you let whatever, whatever you believe in, whether that's God or the universe or Yahweh, Yahweh, whatever you call it, you're letting go and you're letting that flow through you. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, people get really paranoid when they feel vulnerable, when they have all of these things going through their head that they can't control. Yeah, these, these feelings of uh, not emptiness, but lacking self-worth, not be, uh, being insecure about details about themselves. Mm-hmm. And... Any type of mind-altering substance, whether it be cannabis, whether it be psilocybin, whether it be dimethyltryptamine, is going to uh, create paint, paint this more pure embodiment of you, who you truly are. In uh, layman's terms, it's going to make it's going to make you confront your bullshit. We base a lot of our consciousness is based in ego because what arises from the the beauty of humans is that we have the frontal cortex that we can feel emotion that we can process thoughts, and from that can arises our ego, our generalized painting of ourselves and who we think we ourselves are, and any and like I said, a psychoactive or mind altering substance is going to begin to dissolve that idea. And there are, uh, you know, a number of individuals who may not be comfortable with what this, uh, these, these more naked or more pure eyes are showing them. Uh, much in the same way as, like Gary said, with prayer or meditation, you are looking to this embodiment or your, your way. Your ideal self. Like, you, you, see, you see all of the things that are in your way mm-hmm. of being your ideal self exactly and and it makes you it makes you confront those and i'm not saying that if you go and you you get really high with your buddies that you're going to have these types of experiences (laughs) exactly but if you get if you get paranoid and anxious it may be because you're not comfortable with the things that you you, you're coming to realize on this substance exactly so not to go too far down that rabbit (laughs) hole i think that's why one of the main stigmas of marijuana and people don't want to partake is because they somebody that they know or a relative or family member, friend, whoever, had a bad experience saying, 
Well, I smoked marijuana and I instantly got paranoid, instantly got anxious, anxiety. Well, like Matt was talking about earlier, there, there's so many different factors to that. You might have smoked too much at one time. So your brain goes from being completely sober to all of a sudden being on that level that you just talked about. You go from, you know, not thinking about anything to thinking about everything and your brain just overworks itself. Mm -hmm. But I also think it boils down to the individual as well. Like, marijuana doesn't cause anxiety. You, I feel like you already had those underlying conditions. Like, you might have been thinking about something, or you might not, your head might not have been in the perfect state, and then that just enhanced it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's not well, like certain. you go smoke marijuana, and you automatically have anxiety that you never had before. Exactly. It's just like, you kind of had those underlying preconditions, but it just enhanced it a little bit. As the uh, late, great uh, psychonaut Terrence McKenna said, it, it's important to take into consideration the set and setting when you partake in. Anything, Not, really. Yeah, yeah yes. any, anything. Exactly. And the set is your mindset, how you're going into this. There's a mm -hmm. difference between going into uh, smoking cannabis or, or eating cannabis or using a tincture mm -hmm. and having an intention. Like, I, I need to get something out of this. Exactly. And going to a rave or something with your buddy and just getting high. It's mm -hmm. like, you're a lot more likely to get paranoid if you, if you are not in a good mindset. If you haven't thought about this, um, not saying there's anything wrong with either one of those mm -hmm. but the likelihood of you getting freaked out is going to be higher if, if you're in a mindset that's a little more chaotic and less in your control unfamiliar territory exactly and then there's the setting so the set is your mindset and the setting is literally where you're at so going back to the the rave uh as opposed to sitting in in your home or around a couple of buddies that you're really comfortable with exactly that that plays a big role so uh, a very very significant take that factor. into consideration is is the set and the setting mm -hmm. I so like, i know we I veered so. we veered off we veered off <laughs> yeah. the consumption I, a few I was, times uh, but I, I like that we this is casual conversation we just get yeah, on this a roll is casual baby exactly talk about whatever you want so we, keep it casual we have explored smoking and inhaling marijuana we've explored Under some oils and sublingual administration what are some other forms uh, I guess the probably we'll move on to the next most common form of consumption is edibles. Everyone knows what edibles are. They are food products that contain uh, cannabis compounds. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, what about what about edibles? To enlighten us, Matt. Edibles are uh, a really fun uh, form of consuming uh, cannabis, and that is because uh, whenever you consume edibles as opposed to smoking or uh, taking by tincture. The THC, which is going to be the primary component that uh, is in cannabis, so it's a psychoactive cannabinoid, it actually gets metabolized by the liver and gets transformed into this metabolite called 11-hydroxy tetrahydrocannabinol. Um, this... Uh, this metabolite is uh, typically about two to five, four times more potent than uh, THC of itself, and which can often cause individuals who consume edibles that are very unfamiliar with cannabis to probably to maybe have a little bit more of an un 
unpleasant experience the first time around, especially whenever it comes to homemade edibles. Uh, when it, uh, homemade edibles can contain very, very, very varying amounts of uh, <laughs> THC uh, per brownie or per cookie. You're saying it's hard for somebody that's that doesn't know how to distill, basically, because you what you you're you're heating it up, activating it without burning it. Exactly. Yes. And it's hard to get. A, an accurate dose. You may think you have 20 milligrams in this edible and you may have 40 or 50 milligrams yeah. in this edible. That's over half of what you bargained for, you know? Exactly. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've seen a pan of brownies, you know, contain 10 to 15 milligrams of THC per, uh, per brownie. And then I've seen a, a chocolate bar that has 500 milligrams on it. It's, it's, uh, if it's you, very varying. Yeah, very varying. <laughs> That's going to be the term of the day right there, folks. So um, how how popular, I mean, you, you work at the dispensary. Uh, how popular are these different forms of consumption? Edibles are the second most popular form behind the flower itself. Uh, I believe, based on last statistics, Arkansas has sold, like, somewhere hovering around five or 6,000 pounds of... No, oh no, no. my gosh! No, actually, it might be it might be uh, pushing close to like six or seven thousand pounds. We, we're we're up to about fifty three thousand or so medical patients in the state of Arkansas. Um, we've got three cultivators open. I want to say twenty two, twenty one or twenty two of the thirty two dispensaries, and finally, uh, things are seemingly getting on a roll here. But that's beside the point. Um, back to the back to edibles and con, uh, consuming cannabis in that form. Um, that route of consumption is uh, often compared to the to vaporization or inhalation, uh, because it's 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 still marijuana. What's the difference, bro? Uh, <laughs> What is the difference? <laughs> well, the, the biggest difference is going to be uh, what areas of the body the canna- cannabinoids are impacting. Since THC has a much higher affinity for the cannabinoid receptors found in your brain, it's going to, uh, it's going to in- flood the brain upon uh, combustion and inhalation of marijuana, mm-hmm. which is why people get that very prominent euphoric head high uh, you know, within minutes of consumption, mm-hmm. uh, the effects, if you will. Edibles are a little bit of a different story because they take about 45 to 60 minutes for activation, um, sometimes up to 90 minutes for activation based on what else you have in your stomach. Uh, they start, they don't, you know, they don't rush up to the brain. They, they're allowed to um, disperse throughout the uh, cannabinoid receptors found throughout your uh, immune system, your ner- the, the ones in your nervous system and allow you to experience a, a more um, physical comfort, in my opinion. Yeah, like a body, a body feeling as opposed to a head feeling. Precisely. Okay. And that these are, edibles are slowly becoming my new favorite method of consumption, solely because I uh, find it very uh, pleasant to mm-hmm. be able to have my mind on rushing a thousand miles a second, uh, trying to sort through all my thoughts without that cognitive dissonance that smoking can often create for me. Like a brain fog type, type thing? Is that what you're referring to? Most certainly. Okay. That's, that's one of the most common things. So it's things. more, it's, 
it's more clear-headed. You're not you're not overstimulating your your head. Precisely. Okay. Interesting. That is interesting. So that that can apply to a lot of different people. It's like we go back to the one thing we were talking about earlier. Say someone just tries marijuana for the first time and they smoke it, inhale it, inhale it and whatnot. They might not get the optimal experience that they would have mm-hmm. for that specific person. So say they would have tried an edible, then their experience would have been enhanced. So they would have had a completely different viewpoint of it mm-hmm. because that what it like the edible would have been what worked best for their particular situation and body, I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say. So that's interesting. That leads me to my next question. So like what, what type of recommendation? So you, you consult with the patients that come in the dispensary. Do you not? I do. Okay. So if somebody comes to you and they are new at, you know, they're, they're, they'd say they just got a card. Mm hmm. They've been prescribed, I don't know, maybe they have pain or they have fibromyalgia, they have Crohn's disease, like whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure that the different type of patient populations are going to produce different answers. But what what are some of the recommendations that you're making to new patients? Typically for new patients, I always recommend a uh, regimen of using tinctures and edibles in combination to best alleviate the pain uh, or you know, whatever ailment they may have. It's just pain is the most common ailment that people come to us with. Um, we do see a number of patients that uh, are in it just to get high. Honestly, (laughs) much in the same way, there are people out there that just like to drink. There are people that just like to smoke that like to get high. Yeah. Uh, So how, how do they, how do they get a card? Like how, how does, I mean, do they cheat the system? Yeah, um, how do they? Do you know how they cheat the system? Like how? Hey. Not saying that they are cheating the system. Not making these allegations. And I'm not but, saying this is a high percentage of the people that have medical cards. You know, right? That's probably a very low percentage oh, of people. But and I'm certain. I mean, the, the there's about uh, I want to say last I checked there were 18 uh, specific conditions that qualify you to receive your Arkansas medical marijuana card. Uh, a number of which would include anything from cancer to Crohn's disease to cachet- to cachexia or wasting syndrome yeah. um, to generalized pain that hasn't responded to any other treatment for the past six months. Um, of course, there are going to be some in- individuals in the medical community that are more so looking to make a quick buck and kind of fudging recommendations, but that's that's a completely other discussion. <laughs> that is, yeah, we didn't even think about that particular side of it. We were talking about the patients cheating the system, but the providers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Most the providers make money off of the I prescribing. Make, make a lot of money. Yeah. What's the, Matt, do you know, this is kind of like to- off topic, but do you know the, like, sales numbers that they've had since they opened the dispensaries in Arkansas? Uh, for... for for the entire state of Arkansas, that I'm unaware of. Um, I want to say that I last checked that back in mid-April, uh, the entire month 420, which was insanity. <laughs> and uh, they, I think we were hovering somewhere. Oh, I don't want to fudge this number, man. <laughs> you can just do a low estimate. You don't have to. I would say that we've probably sold around... Somewhere about between 
probably twenty five to thirty million dollars worth of medical marijuana in the state of Arkansas in one year. That's a lot Whoa. of cheese. <laughs> Whoa. That's a lot of cheese. Well, yeah, kinda of getting kinda of getting off topic again with the recommendation, but the financial side of it. Yeah. Like I mean, you're you're a shift lead, so I'm I'm sure that you're familiar with how much your particular dispensary is bringing in that is correct okay so what what does a day look like like what does a you know a steady day look like what does a busy day look like as far as financial and what does a month look like for y'all's the the biggest problem with identifying uh business trends in dispensaries is that there are none um (laughs) (laughs) okay um, you, you can have uh, some very sporadic days. We can have a day where we see, you know, 65 patients and we, uh, each patient averages spending, I don't know, $100. So we have a 6500 to $7,000 day. The next day we can see 70 patients and make like 11 k because of the spur- sporacity, is that a word? Hey, well, it's a word on here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good to me. But yeah, how sporadic to how sporadic purchasing um, purchasing medical cannabis is. Yeah, you do notice a common themes that uh, at the beginning of the month, individuals that draw Social Security generally drop a significant amount. Uh, about every two weeks for bi monthly paychecks, uh, mm-hmm. monthly paychecks for your for teachers. Um, it, it, the the trends do kind of revolve around when individuals get paid because the state of Arkansas is a bit of still a bit of a fixed income state uh, for the most part, and that's why we you know try and uh, provide as much uh, help as possible uh, for for our patients to give them a better knowledge and understanding of the product they're taking in, as well as discount weed, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so we we've kind of discussed like some of the recommendations that you would make to somebody that that is new. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, what what I'm understanding, just to kind of recap that, is there's not necessarily one particular. Like you you say, you kind of start off with tinctures and edibles to manage the pain. Mm-hmm. So, do you recommend flour out of the gate? Is there any? Is there any like? negative side effects that you inform the patient about with smoking over edibles or is is it kind of like you're just selling weed uh with the uh whole with the whole pandemic that's currently going on uh it has kind of turned towards more just uh selling marijuana and patients having to find their own information and relying on themselves to find factual information just because they can't come in and peruse the store and just kind of talk with you it's more exactly like the reason that we call ourselves patient consultants is because we want to form that more uh, personal relationship with individuals much akin to a uh, physician forming relationships with their clients Mm -hmm. um we're we're trying to go we try to go above and beyond being simply bud tenders Mm -hmm. uh and want to go the step further to give people better understanding of the product a product that they're going to be using on a regular basis to impact a very prominent aspect of their life yeah it's just like it's just like any other person that's that you're consulting with or selling something you go to a car dealership you want the guy to tell you everything about the car you know what i mean you don't mm-hmm. just want to go in well you have some prior knowledge going in but of course that, of course that makes to me that's what makes a good salesman is him telling you things about the car that you may not have known and i feel like they would people would be more apt to use your specific dispensary or buy from you mm-hmm. 
if you have knowledge that you can give them to enlighten them about something. And I think that Good is point. specifically important. You make the car reference, but it's specifically important to things that you are putting into your body. True. That's true. Most certainly. <clears throat> so I, I want to know, not everybody and, does, but I want to know what I'm putting into my body. And I, I applaud uh, your your business and whoever whoever is over whoever is over y'all that that made y'all more than butt tenders and they and thank you for the applause because um because i'm sure that there are plenty of dispensaries that just are trying to make some cash you know they don't really care about sure. the patients 100 and i'm sure it's just like any other thing there's plenty of doctor's office and physicians that don't actually care about the patients you know they're they, just doing their job you know not saying they do their job poorly they're doing that they could be doing a good job but they, they don't take that extra step to Pushing scripts to make money. Yeah. I mean, and, not, I'm, that's, I'm not generalizing in any way, but that's just one example. Yeah. I know that, that things like that, providing education on the topic, however small it is, is going to be huge in breaking the stigma that has been around cannabis for, gosh, since like the 19th forever decades. No, uh, it, it all started with uh, Reefer Madness. And I believe the biggest uh, factor in the decriminal not decriminalization, the criminalization of cannabis back in the 30s was this notion that it caused white women to sleep with uh, people of color. That was the biggest. Uh, f- that was the biggest factor th- that the media used as propaganda to turn people away from cannabis. They called it reefer madness because it made people go mad. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is also back in a time where racism was. Well, I, I can't remember well, that guy's name. There was a guy. He he owned newspapers and he owned he owned uh, like a lot of like logging uh, that he would make paper out of. Because I mean, you gotta have paper to make newspapers. So he owned a lot of like he he basically did deforestation. Right. And owned all this land with all these pine trees on it. And you think about it even further, because, I mean, th- those were the ploys. Those were kind of the propaganda that they put out to get the masses. But you look in deeper as to why they, they wanted to put this stigma on marijuana, particularly this particular person in power. Boy, I wish I could remember his name. <laughs> look, look, up, look that up, Will, while I'm talking about oh this. Oh, my God. Um, he owned all he owned all this lumber, so he was making paper. Well, not only can you farm like cannabis, the female cannabis plant, cannabis sativa, mm-hmm. the, the hemp plant itself, the males don't produce bud that you can smoke and get you high. That is correct. But guess what you can do with hemp? You can do you can make clothes out of hemp. You can make paper. You can make ropes. Yeah. You can make all kinds of stuff, and particularly paper. They started making paper out of hemp, which threatened this this guy's. Have you, have you come up with that name? Okay, Harry Anslinger. Okay. Is that who you're talking about, Gary? Yeah, that's okay. exactly the one. What does it say uh, about him? This is what Wikipedia says about him. Was a United States government official who served as the first commissioner of the U.S. Treasury Department's Federal Bureau of Narcotics during the presidencies of Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy. He was a supporter of prohibition and the criminalization of drugs as a notorious racist who supported the victimization of African Americans while spreading anti-drug policy campaigns. Anslinger held office an unprecedented 32 years in his role as commissioner until 1962 and then held office two years as a U.S. representative to the United Nations Narcotics Commission. 
Yeah, so he was he was actually a huge hand in alcohol prohibition, and we all know how that went. It didn't turn out very well, and so but it turned out terrible. Yeah, but that's how that's how he made all of his money. So when that went down the toilet, he's like, "Well, what what else can we? What else Demise. can we? Yeah, what can we? Yeah, can we criminalize?" And so he owned all of these these lumber yards that he was making. Uh, he owned all these paper mills that were making paper. He owned the newspaper, so he got to control the media because that was basically the main form of media at the time. True. And the hemp industry was threatening his paper industry. Mm-hmm. Like, just I'm not going to go into to hemp because we've talked about this before on the podcast. But the the industrial hemp industry is a much more sustainable approach than deforesting trees for paper it's just it's like there's no comparison whatsoever but when that threatens when that threatens your livelihood like it did for harry anslinger you'll resort to uh, you'll resort to spreading lies yeah spreading lies to get what you want yeah i also think it goes too with anything anything that people don't understand and don't know about they automatically not necessarily label it as bad but they're skeptical of it so like Mm -hmm. They're skeptical of it to start with, and then this guy comes in and starts saying how terrible it is. Then that just kind of like pushes them over the edge. You know what I mean? Not to mention, not to mention, you get you get people that use examples. They're like, "Oh, this guy smokes pot, and he's a terrible person, and he's crazy." Did you you think that he might have been a terrible person before he started smoking pot? I think he might have been. Yeah. So exactly. Anyways, I kind of kind of go off there, but the. the politics. There's a lot of politics behind uh, marijuana, and it, and it's important, like I was saying before, that we break that stigma. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, that we've done a, a lot since 1930, whatever, in <laughs> Harry Anslinger's days. Good point. But there's still, there's still a lot of work to do in that industry. Well, and that's why we wanted to have you on to kind of break some of these stigmas. Well, first and foremost... The fact that cannabis is still a Schedule One controlled substance, according to federal law, indicating that it has zero medical potential and you know resides in the same. Actually, no, it doesn't reside as the same in the same category as methamphetamine. Methamphetamine, which everyone knows to be terrible for you, <laughs> is a schedule is a Schedule Two drug, according to the FDA. That means. That they have observed that a synthetic form of methamphetamine has more therapeutic potential than a product that grows from our Mother Earth. Exactly. (laughs) I I mean, I I don't. They they couldn't. They can't think that through very much. Like, Like, take two people, give one a syringe of meth and one a joint. And just see what happens. You could do that test a million times, and I guarantee every I'm, I'll I'll guarantee every time the person with the joints is going to be chilling and the guy on meds going like how how does that and, even make sense at and, all? And like, the it thing really is, doesn't. There are there have been synthetic cannabinoids that have been approved uh, to for use in treatments by the FDA or Sativex, I believe Nabilone is another one of them. And these are synthetic cannabinoids that have taken the pharmacokinetic structure of a, you know, of a phytocannabinoid, one that is occurring in nature, slightly re-engineered it, and all of a sudden that makes it legal. Exactly. And just to put this all into perspective, the scheduling of drugs is just absolutely 
bogus bonkers absolutely bogus because like you said methamphetamine is a schedule two drug cocaine is a schedule two drug Mm -hmm. xanax four which i yeah it's schedule four which like low potential for abuse and let me just tell you if you have went to college at all dude People are eating Xanax like candy. That's yeah. an understatement. I mean, I, I, in my personal experience, I, I was, I would say that I was addicted to Xanax for about a week, week and a half in college. Yeah, like it's the thing, a physical and a mental. Dependence. But according to our our federal government, it's a Schedule Four substance that has low, low potential, potential for abuse and medicinal benefits. But but uh, no. Cannabis is a gateway drug that leads you into abusing heroin and meth. <laughs> and sleep don't with you people don't you forget? <laughs> yeah, and sleep with people of color. Oh my god! Ah. So, so what are uh, you know, like? We talked about you know former states of affairs back in the '30s and whatever with the politics. What is the current state of affairs? Because it it's not it's not recreational here. Mm-mm. It's it's a medicinal. Um, it's only for medicinal use in Arkansas, but there are other states that have it recreationally. So I want to hear your opinion, and I want to hear what you know about what is going on in in the political side of that, if you are familiar with it. So, um, as you can see from just a quick news reading on pretty much any platform, uh, the stigmatization of cannabis is starting to become much. Better. It's starting to be regarded more along the same lines as alcohol, a substance that you know should be regulated in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but at the same time, an individual that has had a, that has shown an indication for its use, or just to be of age, of where you know how to you control your own personal intake, can use. Um, the the structure that Arkansas has established for the medical marijuana program is archaic. Archaic, good word. <laughs> Describe it's, to us why why this primitive structure is archaic. Because it's archaic in the fashion of focusing much more on the top rather than it's folks it's not focusing on the appropriate audience whenever arkansas established their uh their i, I believe it was um like rule what is five or six that went into it went into effect back in yeah i know it was it was issue six and seven that issue, you voted issue on six and seven thank yeah. you um whenever those were whenever those were put into place from the time that those uh rulings were put into place it took about it took three years for the state of Arkansas to produce its first crop of medical cannabis. That is an aberration to our, uh, to our people. Yeah. Like once, once, once the, once all the operations got started up in addition, there were very significant limiters placed on the, uh, program in the state of Arkansas. Uh, one aspect of the amendment indicated that you can have between four and eight cultivators in the entire state of Arkansas and between 32 and 40 dispensaries in the state of Arkansas. They divided the state of Arkansas into eight zones with a max of five dispensaries per zone. That is, that's silly. 
that and that really shows i guess how much uh politics and money influenced the medical marijuana program in the state of arkansas because that's a really easy way to monopolize a business is by limiting very limited competitors it's not how capitalism works that is not uh if i sell better weed than you people come and buy weed from me exactly. no that's not the way when, it is and when somebody yeah. else gets mad that they're not selling any weed maybe they should get some better weed so yeah. people come buy their stuff yeah like from our cultivators we have we're we have we're very limited in our options we have three cultivators to choose from and those cultivators are breaking their backs uh pr- with production in, in a recreational state, you'll see a lot more uh, extraction labs or specialized labs and technologies that focus on a specific aspect or specific form of consumption, like an, like extraction technology technology or an extraction lab that solely does concentrates your waxes, shatters, butters, con- etc. And the cultivators in the state of Arkansas have to do everything, man. They have to they have to extract, they have to grow, they have to trim, they have to package, they have to cook, they have to. Create. So their production, distribution, and like they have to put it all together. They have to do everything, and it's being pushed. Oh man! And it's being pushed to the nth degree. I mean, we we will go. In some cases, we'll we will have a cultivator that will go two to three weeks without having any. F- any flower to provide us because of because demand's so high mm-hmm. i mean think about some of the dispensaries in higher population uh, areas the ones that are up in the northwest corner of arkansas springdale fayetteville the, the ones in little rock like in sherwood uh, the two over in hot springs these higher population densities I, c- I can't imagine some of the revenues that they're garnering yeah um so for that reason, it's a lot more based in money, I feel like, in the state of Arkansas, the medical marijuana program is, mm-hmm. which which is unfortunate, but an expected circumstance. Because I mean, it's a, it's a part. It's a part of it regardless, and I understand why it is a part of it. it ha- like money, money has to be there. There has to be value behind things. Mm-hmm. But it can come to a point where it's more about money than, than treating your patients. Precisely. And if there's no if there is no cannabis for the patients who have a right to purchase their cannabis and they there's none there yeah. due to limiting factors that you're talking about right now uh which could be alleviated through just a little bit of critical thinking and like how do we how do we make this more accessible because not only are you exactly. making it more accessible but you're also in the long run making more money which was the thing that you were trying to make in the first place but- and not only that, but the majority of, actually, sorry, not the majority, all of the cultivators are placing a very heavy focus on the more recreational aspect of cannabis, producing very high THC strains with little to no uh, minor, with little to no minor cannabinoids in those t- th- high THC strains, uh, edibles that are you know strictly are, that are THC only. You you see a lot of this across the board in the state of Arkansas, and that's you know a combination of things. I feel like that's a combination of the knowledge base present in the state of Arkansas and how lacking it is. It's a combination of good business practice because the cultivators are appealing to the 
wants of the masses. Yeah, they're marketing themselves well. Yeah, they market themselves quite well because and which could potentially be a byproduct of the lack of information or misinformation in the state of Arkansas. So where where is that where is it at? Like where is the political side and you may not know and and if you don't just that's totally fine but like where are we at as far as improving that is there anything being done are there any issues or bills that are being passed to lift some of the limitations are there bills being passed that are like going for recreational like what what's going on in the politics of cannabis um, to my to my knowledge i am aware of an amendment to uh issue 6 uh, that would uh, expand the number of qualifying medical conditions to qualify you for a medical marijuana card. Uh, of course, recreational is on the ballot as well. I don't feel like it will be passed in the next year or two, but I do feel in about a three to five year time frame that Arkansas will uh, go recreational. Yeah. So, uh, so that is that is on the ballot. What does that entail? Because, I mean, I know the states kind of get to determine, since it's federally a Schedule One drug yeah. and illegal, uh, the states kind of determine the regulations. What, I mean, does that mean, does that mean everybody can, can go and get it and not grow it? Because, I mean, some states allow you to grow so many plants per household. Would you have to get certain, like a... A particular card in order to purchase do you know any of the finer details of that uh there are a couple of stipulations that have been attached there have been two uh amendments proposed in regards to recreational uh, marijuana um one of them i believe proposed that a stipulation would be that people would uh, have to declare a dispensary essentially saying that they are going to purchase product from this dispensary and this dispensary only. Do you know the reasoning behind that? Because that doesn't that do, I can't see why that would be. I, I I really can't either. Honestly, I'm sure it has something to do with maybe supporting a more localized. You know, I'm, I'm, like maybe supporting a localized business would be the only stipulation that I could attach to that. Because other than that, there's not a lot of reasoning i mean it, if you told me that i had to go to uh lake liquor in maumel every time i wanted to get some beer i would call you insane yeah <laughs> exactly exactly that wow. like why i'm trying to think why they would do that is I'm, it because oh okay let me start by asking this question matt are you only allowed to buy a certain amount per day per week that is correct okay so maybe as of right now if they still had that rule they would do that so people wouldn't buy an insane amount so say you go to you're limited to one dispenser you can only buy x amount per week Mm. but if you went to 10 different dispensaries and bought x amount then you would have a lot so it's like they're trying to keep it off of the street and keep it in the dispensary because if you it, you know you could go buy yeah. a ton of weed and then go and sell it for more. It money. would require yeah. more more standardization and regulation as far as dispensaries communicating amongst each other. Very yeah. much so. And so like you, it would almost be like you would have there'd be had to be like a database that okay say you're allowed so much 
so much weed in two weeks. I yeah. don't. I don't know how much. We'll, we'll just use two whole and a half numbers. ounces. And they like. Yeah. And we'll just use. We'll just use like one ounce just for simplicity. So yeah. say you get one ounce per two weeks. That's your limitation. Right. You go. You purchase one ounce from a dispensary. You go the next day to a different dispensary and try to purchase another ounce. That's what they're. What in my mind, the only reason they would have to do that, but in order to solve that problem they would have to create some type of database that all dispensaries in the state of arkansas communicate through so if matt goes and purchases one ounce of recreational pot and he tries to go and purchase uh you know inside of that two-week time period Mm -hmm. at another dispensary it pops up and says hey this dude's already bought an ounce of pot and that's the system that's currently in place in the state of arkansas excuse me cannabis (laughs) <laughs> dope thank you the dope he purchased two ounces of dope <laughs> uh but that that is the uh that is a situation that the state of arkansas has uh instigated is mm-hmm. all dispensaries share a common uh tracking system uh we all use the same point of sale system to so that everything is communicated um you the the limit in the state of Arkansas is two and a half ounces every two weeks, or seventy point eight seven grams. Wait a second, two and a half ounces t- per two weeks. Yes, it's a lot of weed. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That's, a That's a lot. And you would be surprised at how many people max that out on a like. Some of these individuals that come in with their social security disability checks, let's say they're retired, they draw social security disability, they, they, they're li- they've lived very fulfilled lives, and you know they just want to sit around and enjoy themselves even further. They'll come in, here's 800 bucks, max out my limit. And so we do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. It's, it, it is, it's, really, it, it's really a fascinating um, observation to see the polarization of cannabis consumers in the state of arkansas uh not i can't go too into too intricate of detail because we do practice hipaa and yeah want to want to keep our patients identities very uh, well uh unknown but everything from lawyers to unemployed individuals doing contracting jobs and you know, to to pull in fifty bucks so they can go buy an eighth, uh, the, you get uh, you get everyone from every walk of life. Yeah, which is which is beautiful to see. That that is that is beautiful to see, and I, I I've conversed with this about you or with you before is that y'all do practice HIPAA, um, and you know it's it's one thing if if you have like maybe a medical condition that you don't really care that people know about and you, in a hospital you still practice hip regardless mm-hmm. uh you don't you don't break it but with with the stigma that's around cannabis in particular do you have any people that have questioned the privacy y'all's privacy practices have you had anybody approach you and like hey i kind of want to keep this on the the down low oh numerous occasions yes okay. uh we have individuals that will frequent the dispensary 10 minutes before close and only in the winter because it's dark it's dark whenever we're about to close and they want to come by the shade by the veil of night we all then again we have individuals who will stake out outside of the dispensary 
and sell their shit in the parking lot. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Y'all got y'all got drug dealers in the parking lot <laughs> and, selling their stuff. And and it's and we can't tell like they're they're adults. You can't tell an adult, you know, oh hey, you know, you're not supposed you can only tell them so so many times, "Hey, you're not supposed to do that." They kind of have to learn on their own. <laughs> yeah. Like we we haven't we have not had any incident in regard to a uh, uh, law, uh any type of enforcement agencies being contacted. Yeah. Um I did have a I did have a conversation on the phone though a couple of uh days ago about a woman who was um concerned about her friend who was uh supposedly using our dispensary to purchase medical marijuana and then redistributing it for a profit. Um, I, uh, I explained to this woman, you know, we, we do remind our patients that once the product leaves the dispensary, uh, we, you know, we have no control over it. It's, it's in your hands and, uh, conti- and continued to assert this fact, uh, that if she feels that her friend has an issue, uh, to, you know, to talk with her in detail about it and ultimately, it boiled down to this individual was trying to um, kind of be a rat. <laughs> oh, yeah. trying to rat rat him out. Yeah, and I I guess and I, it was that phone call that made me uh, understand why there are some individuals that like to practice HIPAA because there are a lot of people out there who can't keep from sticking their nose in other individuals' business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's an important it's an important thing. A lot of people get get worked up about it and it makes a lot of people mad. Mm-hmm. I've been in many situations where I can't let someone know the lab results. I can't no. tell you how person A or B is doing. Mm-hmm. Like and it's so benign. It's like it's almost so obvious that's like you're just really concerned about them. Like they wouldn't care if you knew, but I just can't I can't tell you exactly. That. Um no, that that brings me to my next question. So, like, what are what are the stipulations? Like, once it leaves the dispensary, it's in their hands. But it, I mean, surely it's illegal to go and sell y'all's pot to the commonplace. Most certainly, most certainly. <laughs> and the the law in Arkansas stipulates that you treat it almost in almost in the same way as alcohol. Once uh, once it leaves the dispensary, we do seal it in a sealed container. It's a it's honestly just a brown paper bag that we staple shut. Uh, it's in a sealed container, and we ask that you. Pl- <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> You're good. It leaves in a sealed container. It leaves it in a uh, sil- leaves in a sealed container, and we ask that people treat it the same way they would liquor. You put it in a locked, uh, a locked container. Maybe in your trunk. Maybe in your back seat, to where you don't have access to it while you're driving. Um, so is it illegal if you're a medical marijuana patient to have, like, just, like, weed sitting in the seat and not a closed container? Is that illegal? If the marijuana is in a sealed, child-proof container, then no. Um, so if it's in a Ziploc bag, it's if, illegal. Yeah, if, it's, if you've, you know, taken your uh, jar of cannabis and poor dumped it into a ziploc baggie yeah that's illegal because now that it's no longer in a child safe container oh okay makes sense makes sense so as far as far as patients partaking in cannabis with each other are there stipulations on like this is say you have a patient a that Mm -hmm. gets some pot 
and goes home and patient B doesn't have money to get pot, could patient A give some pot to patient B if they so desired? As long as there is no exchange of currency. So you just can't, you, there's no, there's no monetization outside of the dispensary. Like that, you cannot sell it that outside is, of the dispensary. W- without facing potential uh, repercussions. It is completely legal for a patient to, let's say, get a quarter of some flour that they get home. They imbibe in a bit, and maybe the limonene concentration in it is too high, so it gives them a headache. Well, they don't want to keep smoking something that gives them a headache regularly, so they hit up their friend who maybe, you know, really enjoys that particular strain. It's like, hey, I've got a quarter of Blue Dream that I don't, it didn't causes me to react in a less than ideal manner. They are more than welcome to take that blue dream to their friend, hand it over, and be on their merry right, merry way. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I, there's making these laws. I mean, I, you know, we we look back in hindsight and we're like, oh, they could have done these things better. But you know, taking taking into consideration how hard it is to take uh, take all of these things into account and make laws about it, it's like. I wouldn't necessarily expect them to get it right the first time. Exactly. Hey, so like trial and error. I don't want I don't want I don't want the listeners of this podcast to be like, "Well, these guys are just hammering hammering the, the state of affairs and they're, you know, for <laughs> for recreational marijuana, medicinal marijuana and, you know, just everybody should smoke weed." Yeah. It's like, "No, like I I want to look at it from both sides, but I've I have explored this topic enough to know that it could be a little bit better." Yeah. It, most certainly, and that, that's that's why I wanted to bring you on is because like I've done, I've done my own research, but there's any average old Joe that's done their research, and I wanted to get somebody on that was actually in the industry dealing with the patients on a daily basis, familiar with the stipulations, regulations, recommendations, like all all of it. Mm-hmm. So I I appreciate you coming on and and giving us all of all of the facts. I'm, I'm more than happy to share any type of information in order to better another person's understanding and knowledge of a product that we haven't had a lot of information on. I mean, we've, we've known, we've uh, known about a cannabinoid since I believe 1964 was whenever THC was first. No, 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 sorry. It was actually in the early fifties that THC was first uh, discovered. And I believe it was in the uh, late fifties or early sixties that CBD was discovered. Um, so we, we've known about these compounds and are just now having the uh, ability to explore th- how it interacts with our body. Uh, being federally illegal, it's th- that, that makes it really hard to test uh, a substance or a product that can have a very prominent impact on your physiological and mental health. Yeah. Uh, Preaching to the choir, the people that are studying like psilocybin and lysergic dithalamide oh. and all these things, they're having a tough time actually learning about it. Exactly. And I applaud the John Hopkins uh, Center for Psychedelic Studies and Disorders. Uh, they, uh, I guess, are doing trial, uh, patient trials, have started patient trials, uh, experimenting with the use of psilocybin in helping cure uh, tar- uh individuals that have not cured them but But the treatment treatment yeah a treatment option for patients with cancer with uh, terminal illnesses ptsd uh, anxiety mm -hmm. depression i mean there's uh, 
some and and all of this is different substances but i mean they have they have iboga clinics which is a plant medicine up in canada that has been absolutely like the most effective thing most effective treatment in the studies that they have conducted for Uh, treating ptsd i believe that ibogaine has also been used in treatment for addiction to other substances uh, for example cigarettes i believe that nicotine addiction is a a very prominent uh study group for uh ibogaine research yeah Uh, that's it it's ibogaine is the compound comes from the iboga root in africa and it's based in the fact that it almost rewires the brain yeah um it creates new neural connections and the the thing is you you get in these patterns and i can mm-hmm. i can speak on this i've studied it extensively you get in these these neural patterns your brain literally works like a circuit and once you start uh y- using these certain patterns and participating in these behaviors that elicit these certain patterns mm-hmm. What I like to say is neurons that fire together wire together. Like why would it why would it go out of its way to create new paths all the time, which ultimately would lead to new ways of thinking, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what you need because like these cognitive disorders, cognitive cognition is literally thinking. It's your thinking process, mm-hmm. and we have so many we have so many disorders that are literally a cognitive disorder. What is depression? It's like your thinking is messed up. You think that every everyone you know doesn't like you, or you don't want to go anywhere or do anything. It's it's all in this thought, Precisely. and so to shake it up with a plant medicine that's been used for longer than you can even imagine through throughout all geographical locations, all cultures. Records indicate to as an aside to that. Uh, records indicate that cannabis has been used in uh, medicinal treatment as early as 2000 BCE uh, by Chinese uh, doctors. Exactly. So I kind of kind of got off on on the whole uh, <laughs> you know research not just in not just in cannabis but other other plant medicines that have a huge stigma on them. Which maybe most, we'll have a podcast one day talking about that. Most certainly. Um, and. Ultimately, it's a product that was born of Mother Earth. We, we as a species, were born from Mother Earth, and to be a, to think that, that we can do it better. Yeah, to think that we can do it better. <laughs> to think that these properties of these and qualities of these plants that are naturally occurring, that are naturally reproducing, are bad. And, you know, you can look at, oh, cocaine is synthesized from the cocoa leaf, or, uh, I can, or, sorry. Uh, I can make, I can make a a really good point about that, actually. Um, because, uh, first of all, I like, I like to say this, just because something grows and is natural does not mean it's good for you. There's poisonous mushrooms and berries Mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah, exactly. So I don't want you to be like, oh man, it's natural, man. You know, it's, it's not going to hurt us. But to think that we can, okay, so we everyone recognizes there, there besides the federal government that there is medicinal use for marijuana. Yeah, but you you go and start distilling this down, thinking that we can make it better. That's just that's just false. And like you were saying, cocaine, cocaine comes from the coca leaf. Mm-hmm. But but you look a little bit deeper. The coca leaf is a lot like caffeine when it's just chewed as a leaf mm-hmm. and it's not distilled down into 
a very pure form, very, which is very free based cocaine. Yeah, exactly. And so the same thing with the 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 coffee bean. It's yeah. like we they used to like chew on coffee beans and it gives you a mild stimulant effect. But we go and we distill it down into this liquid form of pure caffeine. Yeah. And to get you hyped. Yeah, it'll get you hyped. And then it's just all all different forms of of medicines. For example, we were talking about opiates earlier. Mm-hmm. Dude, the poppy plant which secretes this very viscous juice which is what they use to distill and make make a like hydrocodone and oxycodone. oxycodone, all these prescription drugs, they distill this down so to such a, uh, they reduce it down to like its pure chemical form, not the way that Mother Nature entangled all of these chemicals because they used it for mild pain relief. But mm-hmm. you take a, I don't, man, I don't know if you ever had surgery or your wisdom teeth taken out or something, but if you take an opiate, dude, that'll get you high. Yeah. That'll get that, you high, son. It certainly will. Um, I haven't, I have, I have not had any uh, surgery or. I had my wisdom teeth, teeth taken out, and they gave me some Percocet, and that's a that is a that is a milder, like it's not as not as heavy duty as a hydro or an oxycotton or anything like that. And I was like, man, whew, couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, very much so. Uh, and a, a lot of. I guess we can get back to yeah. Uh, sorry, we, we uh, got off. With it. Yeah, I, I what I was wanting yeah. you to kind of go into after that is is people people talking about oh this this vape cartridge or whatever this is ninety seven percent THC mm. that's going to get me the highest. I want you to talk about how like there are all these other terpenes and cannabinoids that are in a plant. And I would like for you to also touch on CBD as well, because THC and CBD, CBD two most are the two most prominent and talked about researched chemicals in most pot, certainly. but there's there's so much more to it. Yeah. Uh, I think last count, there were more than 120 different cannabinoids found in the can found in cannabis sativa. Uh, and with the entire plant being composed of more than 450 endogenous chemical compounds from everything from your lipids to fats to proteins to your major minor cannabinoids, your terpenoids. Um, and that really begs the question, how can, uh, how can one cannabinoid from this product be the deciding variable in how it's going to affect you? Um, there's actually there's a lot of misinformation about cannabis, and it's prominently because of just lack of information. Uh, I want to say a study that was done back in 2011 uh, asked met, asked a number of medical schools and universities around the country on whether or not the endocannabinoid system was talked about in their practices. And the current medical curricu- medical school curriculum is just so inundated with everything else to know about the human body that I think about 9% of medical schools will touch on the endocannabinoid system in any way, shape, or form. And so the, the, that's lack of information right there. The endocannabinoid system is a system that provides uh, immune regu- regulation. It, re- it provides homeostasis for all our bodily functions. It provides... Uh, general upkeep uh, with uh, keeping cyto- with keeping degradation at bay, which is why uh, 
any type of ALS, um, Parkinson's, Crohn's disease, uh, uh, any type of neurodegenerative disorders uh, are significantly impacted by cannabis. Mm just a quick overview uh there it's generally been narrowed down the two major receptors for cannabinoids are cb1 and cb2 cb1 receptors are found primarily in your brain for everything from your hippocampus to your cerebral cortex to your medulla oblongata uh cb2 receptors are based a lot more in the uh, ancillary aspects of your body your immune system your uh respiratory system your digestive digestive system, system your yeah. uh, subcutaneous layer in your skin yeah. uh, every uh, there the the majority of your body has cannabinoid receptors and your body produces naturally occurring cannabinoids these are our endocannabinoids our anandamide and our 2ag uh the per, the role of these cannabinoids is to simply regulate the endocannabinoid system make sure that the body is functioning in proper fashion that's why uh, the more and more that's being discovered about fibromyalgia in particular, the more uh, the, the likelier of a possibility that it is an endocannabinoid system deficiency. Okay, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard that. Mm-hmm. But I, I have heard about the endocannabinoid system in the study that you're referring to. I mean, it's a part of the body. It's a system of the body, and we, we are... We are indoctrinated i've taken amp classes and went through a lot a lot of biology and and there are 11 or 12 depending on how you look at it systems of the body mm-hmm. and the endocannabinoid system is not included so um yeah yeah i, I think there's a lot of research to do i think there is a lot of political movements to do i think there's a lot of education that needs to be done Certainly. and this is the movement, man. The movement. This bro. is the movement, man. <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> um, oh wow, Matt. That's really that's really all I had for you as far as uh, cannabis goes. But uh, I actually have one. I have one more thing. What would you say to somebody that says that people who smoke pot are just lazy? That's a tough one. To an individual who stipulates that a person that smokes pot is lazy, I would tell them that they're wrong. Uh, Cannabis is meant to be an enhancing factor, an enhancing variable that allows you to cope with the stressors and intricacies of life in a much more measured way. Um, It helps regulate mood helps control uh, different types of cognitive disorders, helps act as a neuroprotective agent to any type of pain or inflammation, any type of pain or inflammation uh, that you may otherwise be dealing with, and is a substance that was put on this planet to help us better ourselves. How a person uses it is wholly dependent on that person. If a person uses cannabis in an unhealthy fashion and does not make any progression in life, does not make any um, quality of life improvements, and does not better themselves as a person, then sure, you can say that cannabis cannabis could be a contributing factor because that's one of the side effects. It can make it can make you lazy. It can make you unmotivated. 
but that's not its purpose. Much and in the I same. don't think that it's. I don't think that it's necessarily the cause. Mm-mm. I think the I think g- it can it can exacerbate a lazy person's laziness. Basically, most certainly. <laughs> basically, if you don't don't know what exacerbate means, it it makes you lazier even though you are already lazy. <laughs> exactly. No, no. The whole heart. I can speak from experience because you know sometimes I will uh, have a few tasks to accomplish in the day. And they're pretty menial tasks. For the, I mean, as something as trivial as cleaning out my car, um, going to the grocery store, things like that. And th- this is one of the ways in which I know cannabis can adversely affect me is I'll, you know, I'll want to smoke, I don't know, start the day off sometimes. Or sometimes I didn't, I didn't sleep well, a little bit agitated, mm-hmm. a little bit irritated. I'll smoke to kind of take that edge off. And I'll get too high, and I'll want to lay in my bed and watch YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, everything from that to allowing it to enhance the experience of mind-numbing electronic dance music and immersive uh, visual details on a projected screen, it can be it can it can it exists in both extremes. <laughs> yeah. For sure. It's all about the wielder and how the individual wields the sword. <laughs> it's all about the wielder. the wielder. That's a that's a good one to to close our conversation on <laughs> cannabis about. The wielder. It's like all that. about the wielder, yeah. not the sword. Exactly. The sword's gonna do its job, but is the wielder gonna do its job? I like that. I like that's that a, great a lot word, as well. The wielder. <laughs> so just to kinda just to kinda uh you know, segue into not talking about cannabis. What do you think about all these protests, man? <laughs> what do you think about all these protests? Oh, man. Uh, we're living in a video game right now, bro. That's what I thought. You see the, the so police strange. walking in uniform down, down the street with their shields and the people are rioting in the streets. And I'm like, what the heck? This is like a movie. Dude. This is this is the first of June, by the way. We're not uh, we're not even halfway through. We're five months into this uh, season of how the Earth is going to shambles. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even talked about COVID yet with you. Yeah, man. Oh, man. What do you what do you think about it? What what's, we got? You got any any hot takes on the protests? Any opinions? I think that the protests are an excellent representation of the chaotic nature that the world exists in for for generations upon generations these individuals of these individuals of color have been oppressed by white well white people that's that we are we are the biggest oppressors end of the day <laughs> um I don't really have a, I don't I haven't really thought enough about the protests and the significance of them honestly to okay. elicit an honest response. We'll, we'll get or back not honest, to you. Maybe but a more factual. We'll response. get back to you. Will, what do you think about all this? Well, since America has existed, there have been protests. Mm-hmm. If you look back in the history books, we've had plenty of protests, you know, happen throughout the um Throughout, I don't know, maybe the last century, starting in the 1900s, I think is when a majority of the protests started, you know, that era. And uh, so protests aren't a new thing. I just think they're new to this generation of people. 
so, we grew up in a time so of peace for we sure. We grew up in a time of peace. So now that people are protesting, it seems so radical and extreme to the people who have never experienced it. You know? Mm-hmm. And do I think a protest is bad? No, I think protests are great. I think they raise awareness to the subject and topic that they're protesting for. Um, you know, sadly, you get extremes of both, of like both worlds. So there are always going to be people who protest, who mean well, and are trying to further the cause and are doing everything they can to promote what they're protesting for. And then you have people that take it too far um, and just do things because they're not doing it for the right reason anymore, you know? Like, that, and that's with anything in life. People, people take advantage of, of situations. So I think the protests are great. I don't mind them at all, you know? I think if you support it, I support, you know? I think, like Matt said, you look at the history of the United States and people of color have been oppressed for, for too long, you know, and it's, it, it just keeps resurfacing and resurfacing in different ways in different forms. So, you know, I think it's great. I think it's, it is time for change. You know, this is a new era, a new age. Mm-hmm. I just think people don't, haven't wrapped their heads around it yet, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the evolution of human consciousness. Yeah. It's like it's, it's going in the right direction, although the media would, would have you believe otherwise. Yeah, that's true. Um, but there, there is a difference. There is a difference between the type of racism that, that went on back in the day that was violent and physical to nowadays. I mean, we have so many checks and balances within our society that we participate in because we do participate in it. Everybody agrees that, you know, there are these laws, there's these cultures and these norms that we kind of abide by. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's more of a systematic version of racism now. Yeah, it's systematic oppression. And it's not, it's not as evident because systematic, uh, it's more methodical. It's more, oh, let's group these people in a, in a ge- geographical location. That's where you see, you know, like these... Uh, for lack of a better term, the, the ghettos that pop up and, and areas that you see predominantly are black and poor. Yeah. And that, that's, that, that is a result <laughs> of, of, I don't want to say all of, of systematic racism, but a hefty portion of systematic racism. And on the other side of things, there's a difference between protesting and rioting in the streets, yeah. Um, which, as we observed in Minneapolis, Minnesota, on the news the other day, there's buildings burned down, cars being burned, like just a chaos in the streets. And last night, they they protested in Conway, and I watched a little live stream for. I mean, I, I'm not trying to watch that all night, but I, I kind of watched, you know, a recap of it. And uh, for the most part, I mean, they're, they're just protesting. Like, if, if the... What, what kind of irritated me is the police are telling people to, uh, like, go home and disperse. And I'm like, well, they don't, they don't have to. Like, they're not, they're not causing any civil unrest. They're not violating like, the they're first not, right amendments They're not point. breaking buildings. They're not harming other people. Um, and, and as far as I know, nobody was harmed in Conway last night. I mean, they, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Though. I, if, but if, if there wasn't, there should be no reason that the, the police are telling 
people to disperse from an area and get out of here. No. Yeah. That's why, that's why I think it goes back to what I said earlier. Like people don't know how to, to react because they, they've never lived through this before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we don't have, they don't, the police, I'm not, let me preface this by saying, I'm, if police officers are being, you know, harsh and violent towards peaceful protesters, I'm not for that at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, and I'm not defending them in any way, but they don't know how to, how to react to it because they don't have a protocol for it because it's never happened to them before. Mm-hmm. So it's like everybody's doing something for the first time and everybody's figuring out what's good, what to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like when people don't know what to do, they sometimes they do things that they might regret, mm-hmm. you know? This is obviously a country that is on pins and needles right now. Though. I know. I mean, it's very, very divided. And I feel like a good portion of it can stem from uh, a reactive mindset versus a proactive mindset. I agree with that. Um, there's too large of a number of individuals who are going to base their um, ideals, their morals, their obligatory values on reacting to what they what they visualize what they observe rather than wanting to dig a little bit deep, deeper and create a more objective uh, standpoint from their own research yeah, think for themselves yes exactly and i feel like i'm not going anywhere else with that particular point <laughs> there you go. I, there you like, go. I just, I just kind of wanted to hear y'all's, y'all's thoughts on it. I figure they're yeah. probably pretty, pretty similar to mine. There's no, nothing wrong with protesting. Mm-mm. Don't riot. Exactly. Like bring, bring awareness to the issue at hand, without creating any like you know malicious acts of terrorism or anything like that. Yeah. As, as I did say one saw or see one article and explanation of the rioting, it was because. They didn't think it's like the masses didn't think that that would get the point across, you know. Yeah, I, and drastic, I've, heard, I've heard that too. drastic actions call for, for people to measures. for drastic measures and for people to recognize. Mm-hmm. You know, it got people's attention. It might not have been the right thing to do, but it got people thinking. It got them. It got their attention on it. Rather, something's going to have to something, happen. Something's going to have to happen. It's the shock factor. Yeah, it, yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. A shock factor. It, it shocked people into thinking like, and seeing what's, what's going on. They're like, oh, well, we really need to pay attention to yeah, this. Like now. These people are so pissed off that like, we, we really need to take some time. So I, yeah. I see that. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm but not, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not condoning or saying it's right, but yeah. I understand why they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not saying I agree, but I understand why they did that, I guess. And that goes back to Matt's point. It's like, you can be a person standing back looking at all of this and be like, oh, they're reactive to, to all of this. But the point that you just made, not trying to understand and be proactive about the thought process of why these people are doing it, you're just being just as reactive. You're saying, oh, well, they're just burning down buildings. I don't understand why this is happening. And then you just automatically demonize them instead of getting in their head, understanding why they're doing it, having a little bit of compassion. You don't have to think it's right. You don't have to agree with it. And you can be like, that's dumb. But at the same time, it, it's very easy to understand why they're doing it. Yeah. The subjective unconscious of the masses is easily influenced. Be proactive and not reactive. I like that, Matt. Because yeah, much, much in the same manner, that's how Jordan Peterson explained the whole situation of 
uh, Nazi Germany and Hitler. Um, Hitler was just a collective of the German, un- the German unconscious that bred resentment, hatred, and disdain towards a uh, country or collection of countries that essentially put a hundred years of inflation on them in four months and told them that they couldn't have an army. Imagine if Canada told us that we cannot have anything but local militias and gas was a hundred dollars a gallon and a hundred and a fifty dollar bill was equal to a loaf of bread. That's gonna piss everyone off, isn't it? <laughs> and they're gonna resent they're gonna resent you just as much as you resented them. Exactly. And it's just back and forth. And yeah. that's and that's what the Treaty of nineteen eight that's what the treaty, sorry. That's what the armistice of nineteen eighteen established, the Treaty of Versailles. And it uh, essentially created these very, very outlandish uh, stipulations that the country of Germany had to abide by. Um, if you uh, ever listen to Hitler uh, discussing how he refers to um, Jews, gypsies, uh, individuals that he came to uh, essentially euthanize in, most, in a large majority, uh, he referred to them as disease, as insects, as pests. And one of the first things that uh, the Nazi party did whenever it came into power were mass tuberculosis screenings across the country of Germany and uh, uh, improved sanitation regulations in the factories, cities, industries, etc. Um, he would essentially figure out what the German people wanted. That's why he was such a great orator. He would observe the crowd and... Uh, see what uh what dialogue is creating x reaction and what dialogue is creating y reaction and so he was on a large scale unconsciously directing the german people towards the corrupt mentality that they created Mm -hmm. um in much the same way all the systematic uh, oppression that has been prevalent since the formation of our country uh is now starting to boil over into these very tumultuous revolts and protests and riots because as a collective, our unconsciousness is tired of this oppression, of this systematic disdain for uh, individuals of color. Much in the same way that the unconscious collective of the German people began to hold resent, hatred, animosity towards the individuals that did that to them. Mm -hmm. That's why there is such a significant implication of, um, you know, whites versus blacks. Mm -hmm. And it's because whereas the German people had 20, 21 years from the treaty uh, from the armistice of 1918 to the invasion of Poland in 1939 the african americans in our country have had hundreds of years of this mm-hmm. and so and, and keep in mind they've really only had about 50 ish years of like true uh freedom freedom mm-hmm. i mean from the from the Civil War onwards, the Jim Crow laws were completely discriminatory and uh, still created laws in place that belittled uh, individuals of color and put them beneath us. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, they were our slaves. 
and and you're and to all the individuals that are talking about you know like our ancestors did it you know oh you can't hold that against us that's completely false because you're trying to uh, i guess calm down a collective consciousness that has been that has been victimized for centuries and you and we saw what happened in the span of 20 years across the across the sea yeah so what makes you think that this can all just be swept under the rug and 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 in some cases you know individuals that act like it's not as big of a deal as it is because they are they remain blind to the stigmatization yeah i like I, that was a hot take, Matt. That was I, a hot take. That I was a good that. one, though. I like that. That was a that was a that was a well informed. I like when people bring something to the table yeah. to explain themselves and relate what they're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. And there's gonna be there's definitely gonna be people that listen to what you're saying and totally disagree with that. Oh, 100 percent. But that was a well thought out argument to to the question posed. So I I, I applaud you for that. Yeah. My last take on it. So I saw this video, and this lady was giving uh, kind of not like a presentation. It might have been like a not really a speech either. She's like giving a seminar kind of in a seminar setting. They're all sitting in these chairs, or whatever. And uh, I don't know what she did. I think she was a professor at some college or something, a teacher or whatever. But she was like, "If you're white, how many of you would like to be treated like a person of color by the police? Raise your hand." And nobody in the entire audience raised their hand at all. And yeah. she's like, so that tells me that you're aware of the problem, but you just kind of don't think about it. It's like, because she's like, basically, they're not racist per se, but they're not doing anything to advocate for the problem. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, oh yeah, well we, we think that African Americans and people of color are being treated poorly by the police. We, we think that, and we think it's wrong, but yeah. we're not doing anything about it. We don't think about it. We just kind of put it off to the side. We, so I thought that was very powerful of how people understand what's going on, but they just don't talk about it. You know, it's like, it, but then now it's being pushed to the forefront, and people are being forced to think about it. So We need to be more anti-racist. We can't just acknowledge the problem and then sweep it under the rug because it never happens in our area. Or, yeah, or say, well, I'm not racist. I agree with what, you, with what these people are saying. Just yeah. because you're not a racist doesn't mean that you're anti-racism. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like you can do things proactive to help yeah. the cause along yeah, other I mean, than just not being a racist. Everything from calling out your family members that you know, may make an off-color remark yeah. to just to these protests that we see happening in every major city across the country. We, we have to create this movement this understanding that we will no longer tolerate division between man because that's what racism is we are all of the same species yet just because uh one group of us just so happened to uh grow up closer to the equator and so their skin is darker because uh they need the increased melatonin to keep melanin <laughs> the proper uv keep the proper ultraviolet rays uh, in too high of levels away from you. I mean, that 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 that's just the silliest notion it, to me is the fact that just because they were born in a different country in a different area just makes makes them lesser than you. Mm-hmm. And 
that that that's that's something that just disgusts me to no end about people that think lesser of other people. And the thing is, man, we grew up where it's so normal to make those off off taste remarks. Oh yeah. And it's like you don't even think they're out of taste when you're younger. This is what you grew up. This is what you grew up in subconsciously, like Dude, you you that's wired into you not to really do anything. You're just like, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, you may not agree that's, with that's it. Just, that's just another day in the life. Exactly. Uh, and, it, and it does. I mean, I'm I am not a confrontational person. No. So I don't I don't want to call out somebody when they make a, something like that. But like, what? Like, who is? You know exactly. what I mean? We we want to we want to unite. We want to be creatures of unity. We it's are not like we, I'm trying to. Like, just be right. If somebody says that, I'm not trying to, like, educate them and be the one that's right. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just don't, I don't, I don't want you to think lesser of somebody that's just, like, the same as you. Exactly. It's like, we're not all equal, but we all have equal opportunity. We're all human. We all have the same uh, limbs. We all have the same, uh, like, brain, you know. But it's all, it's all unique to us, but it's the same. Mm -hmm. It's the paradox of life. Exactly. And... And that boils down, I think, to uh, something I've tossed around is just the fact that whether you consciously recognize it or not, everything in your life has been conditioned into you. Oh, 100%. Everything from the method that you tie your shoes to your thoughts on the afterlife and what your existence means. Exactly. And because of the area that we in particular grew up in, it was commonplace for off-color or racist remarks to be made in a regular fashion. Oh, man. Like, I grew up, and I mean, I'll say it right now, I heard the, I heard the N-word a lot growing up within, within my family and friend groups. And then, and not just the N-word in your family and friend groups, but some of the other um, more subliminal racist uh, aspects. Uh, I, for example... Um, for for a long time, <laughs> was under the impression that black people didn't need sunscreen, <laughs> and that's and that's a result of what I grew up in. Yeah, and that's where it gets to the point of you know the long postulated idea that racism is inherently taught. It is inherently learned because we mimic that which we see as an icon. Our parents. Our role models, our friends, any individual whom you garner information about life from is going to influence you and impact you. And a lot of our parents and a lot of our grandparents were even more ingrained into the systematic oppression and, and racism. And it is, it is, it's the evolution of human consciousness. Most certainly. Like it, it, it's getting better. Like it, and it's so hard to see that. It's so hard to see that because the media shows you everything bad that is happening. But it's getting better. It's be, it is going in the direction that it was meant to go. And that gets a little existential, but it, it's trust in it. And the, me, and the media only shows the negative aspects because that's what gets the people going. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I mean... If if you're an individual that is unhappy about a particular aspect about your life or maybe the majority of your life, you feel very unfulfilled, you're going to look to sources of um, situations where people have it worse than you mm-hmm. so that you can feel better about yourself. And I think the media postulates that 
quite to quite an extensive degree because yeah. that's you, you can you, you can use that to subliminally control the masses <laughs> no doubt well that's uh that's about all i got i'd like uh i know you'll haven't actually shot an episode yet but I, i'd like to just mention your upcoming podcast that you and blake are, are trying to form if you want to say a little bit about that oh um we're just going to essentially be exploring a more extensive side of uh existentialism uh kind of the way that we have observed reality uh some of the more in intrinsic mechanics everything related to quantum quantum mechanics to a much more in-depth conversation about how cannabis reacts in your bodies. Talk about a little bit more in-depth about the um, inhibitors and how they react with your receptors, as well as uh, very as particular neurogenerative diseases and how cannabis can help uh, benefit those. Cool, cool. What do, you, do, you, do you have a name? you all have a name yet? No. Dude, we, we didn't have a name, so we just called it casual conversation. We're like, we'll change it, and then it was like, oh, kind of, kind of stuck. Yeah, particles and pot. <laughs> That's a good one, bro. Particles and pot. Oh my gosh, coming oh soon. Gosh. Coming platform s- near you. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'll, I'll speak for Will here. He may not like this, but he 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 may kind of tell y'all how to get on on the platforms like iTunes oh, okay. and Google Play cuz he's got a little bit of experience with that. And I would love yeah, I would, I, I, I would love to have I experience talked to Blake. He, he asked me to come. Oh, he reached out. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, if there was one thing that you would say to our listeners before you go, what would you tell them? You if just haven't were... found the right strain, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Keep exploring, keep exploring the cannabis. <laughs> But, oh my uh, gosh. Thanks for having me on, guys. This, it was a pleasure. And I hope that the information I've touted on here benefits an individual um, in maybe a minor way, maybe in a major way. Yeah. Maybe it just opens a couple of minds to a different possibility of how, how cannabis can be used for good instead of evil. <laughs> instead of sleeping with uh, persons of color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right is there any any platforms like social media that you want to throw out or are you are you good um are you, you're not very, I don't, very I, active, i'm not an active uh user of social media uh at least when it comes to posting i like looking at what makes people laugh yeah <laughs> okay people okay. people are really people are really in- intriguing characters and so finding out what makes them tick is pretty cool <laughs> all right well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at GaryTheGreat96 and at Garrett.Columns. And uh, what you got, Will? You can find me on Instagram at Will underscore Pennington 00. And on Twitter at Scavenger23. I haven't posted anything on Twitter in probably five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you follow me, you won't see much. But Don't worry. You're going on a solid like, year and, and a half. Yeah. <laughs> posted and you can Maybe find us on Instagram at Casual Conversation Podcast. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for enlightening on us, enlightening us, enlightening us on a subject that we needed to be enlightened on. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. It's no. been a pleasure. With that being said, Gary out. Later. Deuces. Yeah.
420 Blaze it.